I will ascend doctrine and sonship doctrine. Episode 1 of 3, Where's the Line? What is the Difference? Welcome. This is Jesus, the Pattern Son, attempt to give you sonship doctrine that is faithful and fulsome, or in other words, a go at it that's biblical and orderly. Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Jesus, the Pattern Son podcast. Today, I will speak be speaking on the I Will Ascend Doctrine. I have always said there is a fine line between the sonship doctrine and the I will ascend doctrine. I don't know if I made that up. I always thought that was a saying among our friends, but I've been told no. So, I don't know, but I'm saying it today. There is a fine line between the sonship doctrine and the I will ascend doctrine. You're aware of what I'm talking about, right? In Isaiah 14, that's what Satan said. I will ascend. For good measure, let's read it. And let's read it in context, or at least some context. Isaiah 14 and verse 12. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Verse 15. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell, to the sides of the pit. The reading of God's Word. Far be it from me to make allusions to Scripture only or to read Scripture only as decoration. I've been accused in my ministry of reading too much Scripture. Well, hallelujah. So even in, uh, in reading this, it, Revelation pops up to me. Satan has weakened the nations and wanted to be high. Jesus Christ lifted us up by becoming obedient unto the death of the cross. This is what I want to say today. Every false religion, by the way, has a false sonship doctrine. In short, an I will ascend doctrine. Every one. If you study them long enough, you're going to find it. You're going to find it faster in those others than you are going to find it in Christianity. The Hindus will say you can get across the sea of contingency after a thousand lifetimes if you follow Guru. The Buddhists have Nirvana, but uh, they do have a Bodhisattva, which is, I think, much better because a Bodhisattva is someone who lives for others. And Amitabuddha is like is more like a son in that he would not go into enlightenment without taking others with himself. So I give them high marks. And I found a fake sonship doctrine in Native American religion, but I can't remember what it is. And, of course, the Satanists have some hierarchy. And false religions have a hierarchy. And they, every one of them, tell you you can be like God. Christianity, by contrast, 
is allergic to the whole idea and Judaism also. God is holy other. God is transcendent. But in fact, in orthodox or straight, correct, biblically understood Christianity, as opposed to most of the church, <laughs> Christ is both transcendent and eminent. That's good theology, and that's Bible, that God is holy other and is high and exalted above all. And Jesus is above everything, but Jesus is also in our heart through the Holy Spirit. And so God is both transcendent and eminent. That's correct Christian doctrine. At any rate, we have established from Scripture a sonship doctrine. But also, I want to make the line very clear, the line between sonship doctrine and I will ascend doctrine. I want to make that line clear, no longer fine, no longer in the shadows, because some of us have stepped over it, and some of us have seen it like a snake and run away from sonship doctrine, and I hardly blame them. So let's make the line clear so it no longer deceives and also so it no longer frightens. So there are three temptations, each of which would draw us across the line from sonship into I will ascend. You understand? From mature Christianity into the most perverted kind. And Satan only has God's word to work with, so he only perverts it. He's not creative himself. Okay, so there are three temptations, each of which would draw us across the line from sonship into I will ascend. One, substituting ourselves for Jesus, who is the unique son, the elder son, who brought us into the family. The unique, King James it says, the only begotten son of God. So we are sons, Napios, Paideon, Technon. Now we are the sons of God, Technon. But Jesus is Lord. That is the fundamental confession of the faith. One, substituting ourselves for Jesus. Two, thinking that we are somehow better than others. Three, thinking that we have to work to get sonship. And this is the most deceptive, perhaps because it seems so good. But notice it is exactly like the first temptation. Satan tempted Eve with, you shall be like the Most High. But she and Adam were like the Most High. They were made in the image of God. And that is why Galatians 3 and 23 is so important. It was hidden for us for this hour. 26, but we might as well start in 23. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith, which should afterwards be revealed. Verse 24, Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Verse 25, But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. Verse 26, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And that word that King James translates children is huios. Verse 27, For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. 
there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither bond nor free, neither male nor female, but you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Verse 26, ye are all the huios of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Look it up in the Greek. You don't have to take a whole semester of Greek. You can look in your Strong's Concordance and your E-Sword. Yes, and we've discussed this before. So this is why temptation number three that we think we have to work to get sonship. This is why it's so important to be established clearly, to clearly preach the methods to becoming a son. If you proclaim that there is a possibility to become perfect and yet you have no clear method, what are you doing? Do you intend to have an unsure trumpet blast or do you mean to deceive people? Or are you just stumbling around? Well, anyway, let's get it right now. (laughs) So we will talk about the methods to become a son, but... You see, it says right here in verse 26, For ye are all the wheels of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So, it is not some list of rules to keep. And certainly not a list of changing silly rules to keep. Although we'll have rules to get along in our groups. But that doesn't make us a son. And there are guidance for how to behave that work in the Bible and the opposite does not work but that doesn't make us a son works are an outgrowth of grace this is the fundamental gospel and it doesn't change just because we forget it or don't preach it we are saved by grace through faith unto good works Unto good works. So serving is a mark of sonship, fine. But we don't earn sonship. Being in the family in the first instance is a gift. We're born. Napios, a baby. Baby is born into the family. Just as we were born by our second birth into the family. We have established in another message that a method of being transformed is looking unto Jesus. This is an unpacking of saying we apprehend the faith we apprehend by faith the grace that God has given us. Grace is not merely unmerited favor but also empowerment. So we have established that a method to becoming transformed into a mature son is looking to Jesus the pattern son. This is so amazing. Let's tune ourselves to Jesus, to use modern language. Let's visit with God so he can correct us and give us assignments and revelations so we understand things. We do not earn sonship by torturing ourselves. We do not earn sonship by torturing ourselves or by letting someone else torture us or by being complicit in abuse. We count ourselves dead to sin. 
we mortify the deeds of the body, but mostly we count ourselves dead based on our memory of baptism and our understanding of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We are in Jesus Christ, and therefore we are dead and therefore alive in Christ. And we are in Christ. This is not something that we should allow ourselves to be continually frightened about as someone cocks their head and says, if you're in Christ, do you ask yourself if you're in Christ? Then settle it and let it be an end to it. Back to Galatians 3 and 27, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So you were saved and then you, in obedience, made baptism. You crossed the Red Sea, as it were. You have been saved, rescued by God. And you claim that by faith. We do not die by virtue of what we do. It is not that we mortify ourselves. Well, (laughs) yes, maybe we embarrass ourselves. (laughs) But the text says that we mortify our deeds. We choose to walk in the world the way that Jesus walked. We choose to walk the way that God, Redeemer, Sustainer, has spoken. He spoke to create the world. He speaks to create our future. We decide to join with him. And this way we become sons, napios, paideon, technon, and huios. We don't somehow abandon the faith and choose a new pattern. Of course not. So we do not become sons by torturing ourselves. We certainly do not become sons by allowing someone else to torture us as if complicity with abuse would work. A transformation into godlikeness? No. You don't walk with Satan to get to God. It doesn't work. I don't be talking to a snake anyway. And if some confusion enters into your mind about what God told you, go to God. Or go to Adam and go to God. Don't keep talking about the snake. Okay, so we don't become sons by our works. And certainly not works of torturing ourselves and others. No. Now certainly service is a mark of maturity, no doubt. And sure, how we live with the body, the congregation, the body of Christ, the congregation is teaching for us. It is a test for us. It is a laboratory, a social laboratory. And it may be a mark of maturity, how we do that. It is not the method itself. The difficulties of body life don't make us a son. Indeed, admitted, body life, correctly done, is a lot easier than life in the world. 
However, there have been bodies, congregations, residential collective settlements that we call farms, that were very difficult, that in fact were not body life. Body life was not achieved. <laughs> A life like the body of Christ should live was not achieved. And in some cases, perhaps were not even congregations, not life in Christ, and some not farms either. <laughs> Now, it is true that diverse trials and temptations and tests work patience in us. Oh, yeah. And I really value, hold dear and precious, that song that we sang and the fellowship that we had together when we, when we embraced that teaching that is clearly the Bible. And it made life meaningful. It made those trials that we went through light. If you're not familiar with it, let me read the scripture to you. James, chapter 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trial, well, this says, the trying of your faith worketh patience, but let patience have her perfect work that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Hallelujah. What a wonderful song. I love it. <laughs> but that's a footnote on how we walk that's doesn't necessarily take body life and body life should be more than a misery yes like marriage marriage is supposed to be mostly wonderful ideally and with hard spots yes I know sometimes marriage is a misery sometimes body life was a misery and family the same, but that's not what the ideal is. The ideal is not misery. Misery does not work wonders. It just doesn't work that way. Misery is something you're supposed to work on and change and improve. But that's not what we heard preached. How could that have been? Sometimes I think there has been some eating of the sheep. And that's why so many have had their faith. It's not my aim to call anyone out. It's my aim to help us see how to walk better in the future. To make this line between sonship and I will ascend clear. So going forward, let, let us remember... The, the best apostle is not the one who can preach the most shocking thing. Certainly it is not the one who can preach from memory something most dazzling. It's not the person who can make you the happiest. It's not the one who can recite scripture most quickly. A good shepherd takes care of the flock. A good shepherd makes other shepherds. Good shepherd watches over the sheep as they, as they I guess it was calf, as they make more sheep. But uh, the best shepherd makes more shepherds. Bad shepherds want all the wool for themselves and are not happy with wool but want the meat and even hooves whether or not they eat them. Bad shepherds want to keep people immature Bad shepherds don't healthy sheep 
and bad shepherds sure don't want more shepherds because if they're not growing the pie then a new worker means less pie and that's two wrongs right there <laughs> meet in due season direction to the fold calm in the storm not meat at hooves off the sheep okay so what is our pattern for shepherding Jesus he did not grasp at being God that though he was God he emptied himself and served as a servant and died for us Philippians 2 hallelujah and that is why he is exalted above all and that's why he is the best God to serve yes for sure so let's think about him let's follow him let's make Jesus our pattern Jesus went about doing good healing saving delivering and the marks of the apostle would be similar and the marks of the disciple would be similar so let's first be a disciple so as to have love and miracles and good works for others that's for all of us and after being a follower a disciple then if we are to be apostles we would be sent have fruit our gospel would match the gospel of the original apostles Paul was not one of the twelve but he had these attributes neither was he sent by others but neither was he disconnected or a lone wolf nor self-proclaimed. Paul mentions it. He mentions his apostleship not in getting glory for himself, but only if he needs to mention his assignment or if in some foolish management situation requires him to mention it in chiding. This is not lording over. It's not a celebrity status. It's not a glamour to be desired. It is an assignment, not a glamour. The mark of the fivefold is this. They are growing saints up. Has our hearing been so dulled that the scripture now means the opposite? Let's go to Ephesians 4. He gave Ephesians 4 and 11, of course. And he gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, to the measure and the stature of the fullness of Christ. Man, have we heard this over the years? But how did it mean something different than the ministry is given to build up the body of Christ so the body can do its ministry and be like Jesus how did it mean something different from that Lord help us so being a good shepherd a good pastor is not keeping people in pews it is not making them pay dues for a generation it is not about ranking ourselves higher it is not about enjoying a caste system it is not besmirching others behind their back in order to shine a light on ourselves vilification of the saints as a ministry method is the sheep's wool in which Satan the accuser of the brethren hides. 
So we should not muzzle the ox. Yes, there should be pay. So if people take care of you, spend time getting a word for you, counseling you, working for you, of course you should respect them for this. If people were just even brighter than you and bothering to talk to you, you should respect them for that because, you know, it's just functional. <laughs> you know, if somebody is, knows something and is talking about it, bothering to tell you, you should listen just because it's functional. And if somebody is working for you, you're an idiot if you're not cooperating. <laughs> yes, but that is a whole different thing than eating the sheep. First you make them sick and then you tear their hooves off and then you eat them. That's stupid too. <laughs> okay, so if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, let's go to Zechariah. Zechariah is the second to last book in the Old Testament. Let's go there. All right, so we are in Zechariah, the 11th chapter, and he's just talked about the 30 pieces of silver, which we know came up in the story of Judas. And then let's start in 15th verse. And the Lord said unto me, Take unto thee yet the instruments of a foolish shepherd. For lo, I will raise up a shepherd in the land which shall not visit those that be cut off, neither shall seek the young one, nor heal that is broken, nor feed that that standeth still, but he shall eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. Woe to the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. Idle, I-D-O-L, the idle shepherd that leaveth the flock. The sword shall be upon his arm and upon his right eye, and his arm shall be clean dried up and his right eye shall be utterly darkened it's really a bad judgment it's a judgment on the people it's a judgment on the foolish shepherd so I'm talking about the line between the sonship doctrine and the I will ascend doctrine and how in the first place sonship is not attained by earning it in any way, whether rules or torture or status. The method of becoming a son is not the rubbings in body life, especially when there is bad administration, inconsistent vision, cross purposes, and especially not when there is actual abuse and atrocity. That's simply not God's way. There may be trials, and God might use trials, but that's a different thing. That's, that's victory when you overcome them and write them. R-I-G-H-T. You make things right. God does not do surgery without anesthesia. His anesthesia is Holy Spirit. God does not break lambs' legs. Mostly, he calls lambs back. Calls them and calls them and calls them and has abundant patience. So don't lie about God. That's serious business. Just as we read in Zechariah, I encourage you to go and read it in context. But to continue to talk about God doing surgery without anesthesia, and breaking legs 
and talking about that on and on and on and on when you have all the air time. That's abuse. That's traumatization. And intentionally caused trauma is abuse. Fortunately, there is repentance in God. We need to repent. We increasingly manifest our sonship by following Jesus, looking to Jesus. And maybe, yes, following Jesus includes taking up a cross and having some tribulation. So we're not going to get in one ditch or the other as if it's all candy and prosperity on one side or abuse and horror on the other side. Neither one is God's way. But we look to Jesus and we follow Jesus. Paul gloried in the marks of Jesus by which he meant that he was whipped and stoned for preaching Christ. But we don't get that. We don't do that. Instead, we rub salt in the wounds of those who are persecuted and say, well, you must have done something wrong if you got persecuted. You know it's wrong to speak of the faith in a secular situation. What? Really? So when did the Bible change? So, we are sons. We are already sons. We start as napios. But look, bloodline is bloodline. So let's rejoice in that. It's time to rejoice in who we are. 